Hello, welcome to Center Saint Sister. On Center Saint Sister, we might laugh or cry, we might get angry or motivated, we might grieve or celebrate, and sometimes all of those things can happen in the very same episode. We are a community of spiritual searchers who embrace Jesus's example of making a beeline to the hurting. Whether an episode is spiritual in nature, purely educational, or just for fun, my hope is that you finish the episode feeling hopeful. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I used to think that I needed extra amounts of introspection or space or silence, time to search and to seek because I was an introvert, an introvert that liked to create. I thought this was an introvert thing, but I'm starting to feel certain that it's a human thing and that truthfully, we aren't getting enough of it. Sure, maybe introverts are wired to maybe find it a little easier, but we all need it. And I am certainly my best momming human, my best speaking human, my best writing human, my best health, mind, body, spirit human when I have incorporated some space. And for each role, holy space, it might provide something a little different. As a mom, seeking space provides patience and farsightedness. If I can start my day with some introspection, taking a temperature of sorts, just a little bit of alone time, it doesn't have to be much. I am so much less likely to freak out when the kids have destroyed the house or eaten all the snacks intended for their lunches in just one sitting. I am the best writing human. When I finally quit trying to conjure things up and quit trying to force things down, because some of my favorite things that I've ever written seem to have write themselves, and I know that that has everything to do with the pursuit of holy space. I'm the best yoga instructoring human when I resist the urge to fill up the holy space, when I can instead just let it be and trust a spirit that's moving freely in our midst to do what I could never do. There's a letting go that's inherent to space. By my bathroom sink, there are two words, prepare and examine. I prepare in the morning and I examine at night. I do both while brushing my teeth. And then there's a nod, like, yeah, well done. Or the shake, like, "Eh, that one got away from me. And both of them seem to be dependent on this one thing how in tune I was to the wonder that was around me, and how well I loved the people in front of me, how present I was in whatever role I was fulfilling. And both of those things have everything to do with this holy space that I speak of. As I've dived into understanding this better, I realize that there's a mysticism involved. My inner mystic is celebrating this discovery. My new friend, Kevin Sweeney, author of Making of a Mystic and joy of letting go. He talks so beautifully about this and so much more. You're going to love this conversation. Good morning, Kevin. Um, It is such a delight to have you on the show. You are a new follow for me, and I'm really glad about that because as I've been following along, I noticed that you can hold a lot of things that kind of seem like opposites all at the same mm-hmm. time. It's like, I, and I I don't know about me. I think that this is just a favorite quality of mine. I find it really refreshing and delightful, um, but you're smart and humble and you're deep 
and relatable. And so often I have found that you're right, but you're not haughty about it. And so Mm -hmm. as I have gotten to know your work, I'm really grateful to have this chance to get to know you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Center Saint Sister. Mm -hmm. I appreciate those kind words. Yes. And I'm grateful to be here with you and for the listeners in and you know, on my second book and, you know, doing quite a bit of these over the past year mm-hmm. or so, I probably started doing them for my first book. I still do not take for granted being invited into onto mm. people's podcasts, into people's sure. space with with the people who are your people. So, yes, I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, even those first comments, you know, the mystic is a person who can take life seriously and yet not seriously at all. Mm. I love that. That paradox for me is very, very important Mm -hmm. and allows me to continue to open heartedly and courageously to the best of my ability, love a broken world that's in need of healing because it is. And at the same Mm. time, it allows me to understand my limitations, understand Mm -hmm. my own fragility, understand Mm -hmm. my own on the grand scheme of an unfolding universe, we all, to me, dangle on the edge of nothingness and meaningless. And yet, <laughs> somehow the work we do is still the most sacred work in the world. And yeah. both of those together allows me to say the things that are very yeah. real and deep and inspiring or hard, but true. And yet, playing basketball with my son when he gets out of mm. shower, who's four in our <laughs> living room and going Such to the beach, being that type of family, like they're both it's all, they're all just as important. They're yeah. all a part of the same thing we're doing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's cool that you I love start it. with that. Yeah. Well, leaning in and loving the lives we actually have, knowing mm. that God doesn't want to change the world without us. And yet so much of it is just loving wildly the people who he puts right in front of us. Mm. Um, so speaking of loves, I love to ask people to introduce themselves by telling us a little bit about who and what you love, who and what do you love, Kevin? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Who I definitely start with my family. So my wife Christine, we met when we were 16 years old. We're both 38 now. We wow. both we both grew up in Los Angeles in the Los Angeles area okay. in different parts and then moved to Hawaii for college and essentially stayed. Yeah. And we did after we got married in 2007. Who wouldn't? I mean, wise choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know. The house party scene back then was like, you party till like 10, the cops come break it up, you stumble outside and look for a safe place, meaning a car to not get arrested. And that was like a normal thing. And I was 16, it was summer before my junior year, and I came out of a party. And I, at that point in my life, I could get arrested on site for various things. So (laughs) I was like... I seen a girl who I didn't know that well. And I was like, hey, like, can let me hop in? And she was like, cool. And I get in and there's this girl in the back seat I never met and we start talking and then How about 20 that? years later like 12 years later we plant a church together so life's oh my really gosh. interesting <laughs> if that's not divine intervention I don't know what is the Lord is like you need this woman kiddo <laughs> no, e- even really though even more so my so my wife and I at that point you know we we're just friends for like a year we were, it was she was like my first like innocent friend who mm. just was a friend as a yeah. girl. And because one of the first times we hung out, I don't know if I've told this story in any podcast. One of the first things she ever said to me, she was like, look, she's like, I don't think you're cute. I don't know what my friends see and you don't ever try to hook up with me. <laughs> wow. And I love her. I'll, I love her. I tell, I tell people that because some people respond and they say, 
oh, so you like, you know, saw that as a challenge and a you challenge, like had yeah. to win her over. And I'm like, no, I actually have a natural unconscious fear of rejection. So mm. if somebody says that to me, I'm not going to pursue them because mm. my, my eat fragile egoic sense of self mm -hmm. at that point is like, I don't, I'm not going to get rejected publicly because that's a shame or whatever. Sure. But what happened was because she said that it like turned the volume all the way down on that part of me that relates mm. to people like that at that point in my life. Yeah. And for the first time it allowed me to like, just connect with a person like, Oh, yeah. you don't want the things from right. me. I'm used to people wanting, or I usually yes. want from others. We can and get rid of that distraction. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was like, and yet you're still showing me attention. We still yeah. talk. That was a time. That was a time in life where you called each other on the phone. Yeah. For younger people, you would literally call up a person's house and their parents would pick up. You'd be like, hey, can I uh, talk to Christine? Like, that's how we did. There was no. Oh, my texting. gosh. I forgot about asking for people. That's hilarious. Yes. And my wife would be like, oh, well, just can you call me on our fax line? I'd be like, all right. And then I have to call another number so she can talk in another room. Yeah. And yeah. And then you have the kitchen phone why. with like the really long cord and you take it into another room. so You can have <laughs> some privacy. You're like tripping people all over the house. Oh, my gosh. Good times. Yeah. And that's why in, in my dedication to my first book was to her. And I said, what I wrote was like, thank you for seeing me before I knew what it meant to be seen mm. because yeah. the f I had never had that. Oh, you don't want anything yeah. from me. I'm not really using you. You're right. not using me, yes. but we're connected. That I was thought of that earlier and I didn't want to say that too soon, but it's like, there's no objectification. It's just, exactly. I delight in you. I just like you as a person. And turns out that's a really good foundation. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, being seen by her in that way is what started to open me up to the possibility of being seen by God because mm, I had never wow. felt seen like that before. So yeah, my start goodness. with Christine. Oh, we have such a so long awesome. history. That's so good. And then our kids, our, our daughter, Michaela Brave is six and then True, our son is four. And, you know, just, just for one more, since we're doing family stories yeah. to start with. Yeah. You know, again, I'm 38. And at that point, 16, 17, 18, people used to write letters to each other and like mm -hmm. give them to each other before class that you read, like, you know, Christine folded it up or whoever. And I think when she, we were probably 17 at the time or 18, and she was in Hawaii because she was a grade older and I was in Los Angeles for my senior year of high school. And she wrote it was something like that. And she wrote me a note and it was like the future. And it was us in Hawaii, something like that. It was us in Hawaii with two kids, a girl and a boy, Michaela and True. And that's what we have now, 20 years later. I am not joking. Because I knew at that point in my life, if I have a son, I'm going to name him True. And she wanted to name a daughter Michaela. And now like that, I mean, we have to have that note somewhere because I'm like, that's actually what we've lived into. So it's a really fascinating story. So loving I people, I start all with over. Yeah. yeah. I, um, so I live in a college town and that lends itself to a lot of relationships with young women. And, mm. you know, I mean, I kind of forget that I'm supposed to be a mentor. I kind of end up being a friend tour and I'm like, oh wait, I'm you know, <laughs> supposed to have some sage advice, but I was... <laughs> I was kind of going through some bullet points of things that I think are important for kids or I don't know, whatever. And mm. I, one of the things I said was I had kind of gone through, um, I don't know, just kind of operating in the same spaces as young men. And I had said a couple of things and the way that they summed it up, they're like listening intently, you know? And by the way, mm. I know nothing about dating anymore because it's changed so much, but, um, <laughs> at whatever it was that I said, they summed it up as, so you're saying, um, play hard to get. And I'm like, mm. no, 
be hard to get. Mm. So I love your wife for that. Like that mm. is just, that's my kind of girl. <laughs> oh yeah. She, she, uh, my wife has never struggled to own her voice. Mm. Mm. She is mm. a very, very, very tenacious person. And I, I've yeah. learned a lot from her just in her, not cause she's sitting down teaching me lessons, but just in her embodiedness. Yeah. Since I met her, I'm like, this mm. is what it looks like to actually try everything you want to do. And that's really yeah. scary. And yet yeah. she just, and if it doesn't, and, and actually, and if it doesn't work out, you're sad and you cry. And then I guess you just keep going. Like, you don't know people who just do that. You know? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I'm going to pray for y'all's marriage. I just love y'all so much already. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's start. So, you know, we don't know each other that well, although that was um pretty good background. Can you give us a little bit about how you came to do the work that you're doing? I mean, you said that you started a church, but I would imagine there was some progression, although God does just plop lovely women in the backseat of cars with you. So who knows? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know how, how you came to do the things you're doing. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. And it's important because, you know, I don't know if people have heard the phrase it comes from Marshall McLuhan. I think in the 60s talking about technology, he was the one who coined the phrase, I believe the medium is the message. So it isn't just the things we say, it's our yeah. entire life communicates. Yeah. It, the tech, like the, it isn't yeah, just, oh, good. they just yeah. shared this information. No, the medium is the message. Like yeah. the, the environment, the person, their embodied life, everything is speaking and communicating oftentimes more so than the content. We know that as parents, you know, like, um, for people who have kids, it's, you know, like a kid may not always hear what you say, but they never fail to like reproduce who you are. That's a scary thing. Right. You know, right. that's a humbling thing. It's an empowering yeah. thing, but it's scary. Cause you're like, don't do that. But if my entire life is communicating otherwise, yeah. they're hearing another message. Well, and- even the way that it's like, you know, I'll see someone out and about and it's like, I don't remember how I know you, but I, I remember how I feel around you. Mm, I know yes. that we either really enjoyed each other or didn't, you know? So anyway, go totally. ahead. Totally. Yeah. 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 And so the stories are so important and I I'll say like this in terms of very zoomed out for the unique spiritual journey I've been on. Like I went to Catholic school first, second, third grade, stopped going to mass soon after. And mm-hmm. my parents didn't push that on me at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful in a sense, because I I tell people I left that experience with like a pleasant indifference towards religion and God and the church. It was just a non-issue. There was no ideological like the the Pope, how dare he ex cathedra? No way. uh uh I wasn't uh mad. It was, no, I'm just young and I'm not going. And that's helped me so much later because unpacking religious trauma as we're seeing more and more unlearning disentangling dismantling family systems religion emotional trauma all tied up into this one confusing knot for people later in life like i'm i understand how real that is and i don't have that with the church yeah never been mad at the church never because i wasn't in it i was indifferent because i was a non-existent yeah and i have a similar experience by the way yeah and i had a unique existential crisis at 17 with mushrooms at that point as a spiritual guide for me. And then I had this spontaneous awakening moment with God when I was 18 that completely reoriented my life. And I would say rewire my consciousness almost Mm. instantaneously. And when that happened, I never did psychedelics again after that. I 
was like, I'm quitting. I played, worked my whole life to play basketball in college. I was like, I'm walking away from sports. I was involved in music. I'm not doing that. Everything I'm wow. doing is now oriented around and given to this experience of the warmth of a father, the embrace of a mother. Yeah. What I would discover is the love of God that just changed my life. Uh-huh, yeah. And I moved to Hawaii at 18 to follow this calling this sense of God's calling me to Hawaii. I don't even know if God does that. I never thought about that, but that's what I feel. And also, of course, my girlfriend was out there at the time and I wanted to be with her. And that led me on a journey within a couple of years. I'm like, I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor. And I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what I think. And then I ended up at a four square Bible college in California a couple of years later, you know, learning about biblical studies for the first time. And that Lynn, that ended up at seminary at Fuller in Pasadena for three years. And I wanted, I thought I was going to stay in the academy for a while and teach and write. And my PhD right before it started fell apart. My mm-hmm. advisor left the school. It wasn't, you know, oh, wow. it was just, just technical stuff. And yeah, that created an opening where a friend started inviting me into his dream for a church in Hawaii. And then he had to pull back for health reasons and his family. And I said, I think this is what God's calling me to, even mm. whether or not you're a part of it, like respectfully, yeah. of course, you know, it wasn't like a mean thing. And he yeah. was like, I know. And I was like, you just like Jedi mind tricked me into planning a church. How dare you? <laughs> and yeah, oh like, my gosh. and my wife's, my wife was already as a teenager involved in like Catholic adoration, like in more evangelical yeah. type of youth group stuff. Yeah, so yeah, she was yeah. more course, familiar yes. than I was. Yeah. And so, yeah, we... We moved back to Hawaii 10 years ago and started this journey together. So, yeah. So wonderful. Okay. Is the guy there? <laughs> the guy that this all started? Is he there? No, no. he never no. moved back never here. Never did. Okay. I tell wow. people, it was like he, I inhabited his dream so deeply it became my own. Yeah. That's how yeah. it felt. Are y'all still friends? Yeah. 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 No, we're still cool. We still stay yeah. in touch. Yeah. He's, so he, he's a it. big supporter, big friend, me to him. So yeah, it's I good. love it. Thank you for all of that. That's great. Um, okay, so let's, I'd like to start by who um, just Jesus is to you. It just just feels mm. like a, a good starting place because I feel like as I've started following along, there are so many things that we share in common and we could like get super specific about it and it might just be um, wrapped up with like dignity of the human person. Um, I think specifically mm. it looks like equality and caring about abuses of power and social mm. justice type issues. But in, in preparing for all of this, I, I was kind of specifically thinking about beauty because you seem like such an artist to me, Kevin, mm. and, and we are Christians because it is, it's true and it's good and it's, and it's mm. beautiful. And I know that we, I've said this many times on the podcast, and it's not um, like, you know, a fresh revelation or anything, but I feel like we can kind of bang people over the head with what's true and good. And um, a lot of times beauty will allure people where truth or goodness cannot convince. And so beauty Mm. feels really, really important. What is beautiful about Jesus to you? Because he's just countercultural at every turn. Mm. And our Mm. society who tends to, idolize power or achievement or success or militarism or, and on and on and on. Um, here Jesus was countercultural at every single turn. Um, 
And yet it's beautiful. The cross is the most beautiful thing he ever did. And Mm. all of the things that we tend to idolize as a culture are the opposite of Mm. that. There's the opposite of of achievement Mm. and and war and and on and on. So I I know that we could talk for a really long time about all of these things, but I wanted to just kind of keep it simple about Jesus and beauty. Do you Mm. have any thoughts on that? That's that's great. And that's definitely a lot of my language. And I think you're very on point when it comes to reading some of the things that I say, you mm-hmm. know, and the, mm-hmm. the, com- the compelling nature of beauty, as opposed to the force of argumentation, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. how we, how we bear witness to the story we're a part of and how we love people well and how we create beautiful things because beauty in and of itself is valuable without needing to artificially attach Jesus's name to it in some kind of a way. Yeah. Um, the energetic signature of Christ can be fully present without the name of Jesus. And we artists don't have to artificially Mm. slap that sticker on in order for things to be good and true and beautiful. Like you said, um, the great rabbi, Abraham, Joshua Heschel said, like, I didn't ask for success. I asked for wonder. And so much that's countercultural. Yeah. Yeah. You don't ask for success, success based on status, climbing, money we're making, et cetera, et cetera, right? We all know these ver- the, the, the versions of success that are handed to us culturally, passed mm-hmm. down, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, wonder, that's countercultural. So yeah. to, to be in awe, to be able to, for me, think about the miracle of what we're doing right now through technology is insane <laughs> to me. A text message to me, like something bouncing from space back and like these little things I don't take for granted. They freak me out. You know, it's really profound. And when I I use when I tell people that term freak me out, not like in scare, it's just it's just it's it's an all like appreciation. This is not regular. Like this is amazing. You know, like changing a channel on a TV to me blows me away. You know that we can do it. And I I was on a plane. I was on a plane this weekend and this reminds me of that joke or whatever, where it's like, I'm mad that they don't have Wi-Fi on a plane, you know, like I couldn't get the Wi-Fi to work. And it's like, I'm on a plane. (laughs) There's a building laid sideways, flying through the air, Mm -hmm. shuttling Mm -hmm. me to a different city. And I didn't even know they had Wi-Fi on the plane and now Mm -hmm. I'm mad about it. Anyway, you know, anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so (laughs) I definitely live in that world of being fascinated you know, yeah. and curious and just like, this is all amazing. It does, And that doesn't negate the injustice. It doesn't negate the pain. Like when we yeah. talked about holding tensions earlier, that's all true too, but it's also this and the counter-cultural and counter-intuitive counter-imperial nature of Jesus for me is, is truly astounding and inspiring and challenging. And I, and I just love it because I have yeah. that in me naturally yeah. I was already counter everything yeah, as a kid, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, this, this is a natural movement for me here. Yeah. But the parables is all, you think it works like this, but it's mm. actually this. Yeah. You think fighting to have the best space at the table, meaning closest to the most powerful people, meaning elevating your own status through vicarious value, which is a whole conversation we can have about the church and their obsession with whether it's political power or celebrityism, it's like, oh, we're still doing that, aren't we? We still think we need the best place at the table. We still want to fight for the status. I'm like, but every single parable is saying, wait, do you still really believe that? Mm -hmm. 
Like that's, it's to me, the parables and those moments of Jesus are like everything that you think is how it works. It's not mm-hmm. the big, the big things are actually the small things. The beautiful things are the things that most people push to the edges. Yeah. The people who you think, the people who you never think about are the very places you discover the truth of who God is and the truth of who mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Like when you look to the people on the, the places that you don't want to look the places that have been pushed to the edges, the places that have been have been pushed in a way that were have been decided this isn't valuable. That's actually where we discover the fullness of Christ and the fullness of ourselves. And I'll give people an example of that and how that feels on a day to day basis. Like that's that's what I like to tell you. We're talking about the mysticism of every day. You know what does that mean? And when I grew up, I felt as a teenager, I can remember feeling uncomfortable seeing people who were physically not fully able-bodied people who were developmentally delayed whether they're in wheelchairs or someone has to help feed them like when I would see those people it would make me uncomfortable as a kid Mm -hmm. and it would trigger a sense of disgust and it would I wouldn't want to look you know it was like Mm -hmm. made me uncomfortable yeah and when I look back at why, there's always something there for us by the way whenever you naturally want to withdraw your awareness there's something painful to face, but there's also some freedom within there if you look long enough. That's why the the truth is always in the edges. And when I look back, I think one of my great fears growing up was the fear of being needy and feeling like an obligation wow. and a burden to other people. Wow. Like I picked that up along. That's a core narrative for me. Like my, my presence will mm-hmm. eventually overstay its welcome. And my greatest fears all be you're only caring for me because it's an obligation. You're only caring for me. And and you really secretly like see me as a burden. Like that was a great fear of mine, Mm. you know, naturally. Mm -hmm. And when I would look at people like that, I'm like, they're so vulnerable and they're so needy and they're so in need of another person's care. And I'm like that to me, you are an extreme example of what I fear the most of like needing to be cared for because I'm scared to be seen as a burden. Oh, that person I don't want to look at actually has the keys towards my freedom because actually you're helping me see something in myself, you know? So I think Jesus, the countercultural part, he's always inviting us to the edges, both to care for the people who have been devalued and also to be liberated by the people who have been devalued because they have something for us, you know? So, yeah. All right. We're just, (laughs) we're just going to stop right here. And I mean, I, yes. Gosh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is so beautiful. Things are always flipped on their heads with Jesus. How many times did his disciples just not recognize him? Mm. Just don't recognize you, you know, and we tend to have this idea of, of, of perfection. And it is always the things that seem the most broken, the lessons that I do not choose, that I am learning the very most. Thank you for your honesty, by the way, because if we're not constantly confronting these biases or these feelings Mm, that like we shouldn't be saying out loud, like this is how I feel, but I don't want to be labeled some really ugly name or given some horrible title. So I'm just going to tuck that away and Mm. never become better. I don't want to be, I don't want to be better. I want to be right. I don't want to grow. I want to be perfect. And so I just, I, I appreciate your ability to use the word disgust. 
I feel repulsed by this one thing and not being afraid of, um, you know, some circle that you fear people might put you in because of that, because we all Mm. relate to it. And I think that we have all benefited or, and if we haven't, we should, we should seek it out, um, benefited from the simplicity of, Mm. um, loving someone different than us and the things that 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 has to teach us. That's where I'm really grateful that because of my unique shaping as a kid, but also my first experience with God, I've never felt shame or guilt for thoughts and feelings that arise within me. Because I want to tell people, you are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You are over here having like the thoughts arise within you, but you are not those thoughts. You are having those thoughts. So when I'm young, like that's why you can, we can own prejudices and biases because you didn't choose them. It's like a personality. You didn't choose your personality. You didn't choose your defense mechanisms. You didn't choose your coping mechanisms. That is all unconscious survival techniques that we put on in the systems and culture we grew up in. You don't have to feel guilty for that. You didn't choose that. So for example, that prejudice, that fear I had, that trigger of disgust, I didn't have to, like, even when I say it, I'm like, I don't have to feel ashamed about that because I didn't choose that. That was something that arose within me. But because I took ownership of it, now I can work with it and say, oh, in my life as a whole, as a follower of Jesus and the path of transformation, I can say this is a default pattern, but there's a much broader life beyond that towards love and moving towards the people who are different, et cetera. And I can choose that after my, you don't have to. It's tough when you feel guilty and shame about thoughts and feelings you have. And think about the gold nugget that you were able to find there. Okay, this is about neediness for me. Mm. And needy is such a horrible word. I want to spit it out of my mouth. I agree with you, Mm. needy. Mm. And because we idolize self-sufficiency, right? Mm. And so Mm. it's a myth. Nobody ever did anything great on their own, ever, ever, ever. And so the neediness that God is calling us to is, again, so countercultural. And you would never have that realization if you weren't open to, my thoughts are not me. Ah, hallelujah. Mm. Amen. Okay. So um, I... As I've been watching your work, I feel like so much of the foundation is this is this curiosity, right? It, there's like there's a humble, there's a humility of spirit. Um, can we talk about the value of of asking good questions? Because I feel like maybe uh, this is linked to self sufficiency and the things that we that we um, I don't know just describe to or, or lift up in, in our society, but there is also certainty. So um, mm. the value of curiosity over certainty, of asking good questions, of, of embracing good, honest doubt. Um, can I hear a little bit about your journey with 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 doubt and curiosity? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, when I was seventeen, eighteen, you know, like truly having this existential crisis where I'm like, what am? is everything I've ever done just to get people to approve of me? Like, what am I like, you know, what am I, why am I, why am I working so hard in basketball? Why am I doing this? Why do I care what they think? And Mm -hmm. that leads me to bigger questions. Like, well, well, what really is happening here? What are we doing? Why, what is the suffering worth it? Is the struggle worth it? Is there something real here? And my pursuit of truth and my pursuit of eventually what led me to this experience of the resurrected Christ was, I just want to know what's real. That's all I want. I I don't want, I don't, it's not a, it's not a power oriented thing of certainty. I need to be right. It isn't, I need to be over and against anybody else. I was like, I just, I'm so sick of doing things that are like, 
of the inner restlessness that is haunting me within my constant pursuit of pleasure, desire, attention, or whatever that isn't working. Mm. What is real? And that question has driven me still to this day. Mm -hmm. Just want to know what's real. And the pursuer, the seek, the curious person, the seeker of truth to me needs to have that daring audacity to say, I'm going to let reality present herself to me on her terms and I will adjust, let go, surrender anything accordingly to live in in alignment with what's real. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if that's the case, there's going to be some serious rethinking and unlearning that you do along the way because that sacred cow of a belief that you held for that long, when reality presents herself otherwise and says, that isn't really how this works. Are you going to be willing to let go of and surrender to that thing that has brought you comfort? It has made you feel safe at times. It did give you a sense of self seven years ago or whatever. But when reality, when God, when truth presents herself in a new way, will you let go of that in order to actually align yourself with more of the truth? Do not cling to me, right? Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And so so that, that phrase, do not cling to me, to mean when you said it that way, can be like a universal do not cling to that which was do not cling to the way you thought things were supposed to be actually do not cling to anything and continue to allow yourself to be open to the possibility of truth emerging on its own terms yes and anytime we do that when you it's really hard to you know my second book the joy of letting go letting go is hard and it is scary and change is scary and growth is scary because there's always letting go and there's always, whenever you let go, it's a death or there's grief involved and it's yeah. trusting the death that there's more life. Yeah. It's all that. And yeah. I get all that. But the curiosity <sighs> says we can keep following this thing all the way through without the fear that somehow if we're different five years from now, God's going to be mad at us. Yeah. God's going to love us any less. Yeah. God's going to eternally punish us or something. Yeah. No, this spirit that was one of probably one of the first things I learned as I discovered the Bible was like, the spirit is going to guide you into all truth. Oh, so if we keep pursuing, keep staying open, refuse to cling and keep going to me, I'm like, it keeps getting better. Yeah. yeah. Over and over. I'm not where I would ever imagine myself to be 20 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, five years ago. And yet each time I do all that work of not clinging and growing and following mm-hmm. my curiosity, mm-hmm. I'm more alive, more yeah. joyful more free, more courageous. Every My life's bigger every single time. I think we were fed some lie and it's not scriptural that says eventually throughout this process of sanctification, there will be an arrival. There will mm. be at some point that we will have maybe all or most or enough of the information. And I don't think that anyone would ever hear these words and then say, oh yeah, that, but that eventually we will be able to say, okay, I've got this. I'm good. I'm done. And we're never done because there is no place of arrival. It is Mm. always a process of learning and unlearning and then new Mm. learning. And the, you know, um, 
Mary, Mary Magdalene and, and Jesus and him telling her, because when Jesus does these things that confuse me, when Jesus does, says these things that baffle me or is silent and that confuses mm. me because that doesn't seem like the Jesus I know either, you have, you have to dig in there. That's where you have to dig in and trust that there's something I'm missing. This is an opportunity to know more about his character. And so I d- do not cling to me, did not make sense to me. Why mm. is he telling her that? Because I'm picturing her like wrapped around his feet. You know, he's alive. And they obviously had so much intimacy and, and reciprocity and just a beautiful friendship. So like why when she is celebrating that he's here, is he saying, do not cling to me? Mm. He, she had him locked in a present day and time as teacher. And you will never know the risen God if you cling mm. to me here in this space as teacher. And so there, it's, an invita- it's always an invitation. Jesus' silence is an invitation. It's an inv- and, and so, of course, we can shake our fists at that and be like, why aren't you here? Do you care? But, but mm. it's an invitation because silence allows these questions, mm. these good questions, what we really believe about God. It mm. allows those things to come to the surface. And then it's an invitation to say, we need to fix that. So when mm. I'm silent, when I'm, I, it is an invitation for whatever your go-to is. You don't love me. You don't mm. care about me. <laughs> I can go from you don't love me and you never have really quick, <laughs> you know? And so then that's an invitation to say, we need to fix this thinking, you know? Mm. And so, cause he's just too kind to let us stay there. So mm. anyways, I just love the ways that Jesus can be confounding and then mm. the ways that we can just learn newly again and again and again. Yeah. And you know, the great medieval mystic Meister Eckhart has this famous prayer where he says, God rid me of God. Mm. Whoa. Where it's like yeah. the fullness of that which is always re- remains beyond conceptualization. Continue to break open any concept I have of you in order for more of you to continue to emerge. Yeah. Don't cling to me. Why? Because it actually gets bigger, yes. better, more universal, ah. more accessible, more real in that way. And also with the whole certainty thing and our cognitive beliefs and the way we hold mm-hmm. on to concepts, mm-hmm. for the mystic as one who is just this is a direct experience of the sacred like my i'm very grateful my experience at 18 my introduction to faith was not here is a system to believe in here's the beliefs we have that have been unconsciously handed to you through a community which that can be really good for people as a starting point i'm not taking away from that i hope my kids can you know come through with this tradition and this story sure but for me the foundational experience of god was universal affirming love and direct experience And I say that because for the mystic to know God is not actually to know God, it's to be known by God. It's not to see God, it's to be Mm. seen Mm. by God. It's not to understand God, it's to experience being Mm. felt, held, and understood. It's not to hold on to beliefs about God. It's actually the radical experience of trusting that I'm being held by God. None of that is conceptual certainty. It's actually experiential relationship and An encounter, right? Yeah. So for the mystic and for the people, the the great lovers of God, the great poets, the people who inspire us so much, the certainty has nothing to do with a real journey of faith. You know, this a journey that's defined by love and relationship and connection and union and the supreme identity in Christ. It's not, oh, I feel safe because I think my beliefs about God are right. Those are always changing and evolving. When I say, when Meister Eckhart, God rid me of God, that keeps evolving. 
But the direct foundational, I am known, seen, loved, cared for, and somehow mysteriously in an unsafe world still safe. Well, my beliefs can change, but that doesn't move at all. That's that fixed point at the center of everything that allows you to plant your feet on the ground. So the mystics are like, what what does certainty have to do with love? You know, your beliefs. Again, even with thoughts and the, the whole, like, you don't have to have shame about your thoughts. You know, I'm over here having thoughts that are over there. Yeah. The mystic also knows the great I with the capital I sense of self in Christ is before, beneath, and beyond any beliefs I have about God. No, I, mm. the I that is being loved and held together is over here. And I hold and I have beliefs over here. That can change, but this sense of I doesn't. I can yeah. let go of that, even if people don't like that I do it, and this sense of love doesn't change. And so it's like yeah. it allows the beliefs to continue to evolve while knowing there is something at the center of this that is immovable. And it is not your own ability to cling on to certainty. It is your ability to trust that you're being loved, which yeah. is the foundation. Yeah. So this this is a great segue because I do feel like, I mean, I, I think that we are living life right. Like life in abundance is when these, and maybe this is what you mean by capital I. I don't, I don't know much about, I'm kind of treading into some new territory for me. But um, when we are living in harmony mm. with body, body, mind, and spirit. And so we so easily elevate this mind thing. We're rewarded for it. Right. And so I think certainty is like, becomes this mind thing. And you and I, um, perhaps share this. I I think that there's probably a larger definition to mysticism, which I would love to, um, just hear about, um, hear from you, but, um, I'm a yoga instructor and Mm. it is those moments of harmony of three-part harmony um, where I feel the very most myself and what it's asking me to do is to turn down one thing. I think you mentioned that earlier and just let another an embodiment, right? So like turning down this cognitive and, and mm. elevating this embodiment because the body is knowing things that I do not know. And I'm either ignoring it or blaming it or punishing it or, and on and on and on, you know, these complicated relationships that we have with our body. But the point is that it is in this holy space that I offer myself through my yoga practice, um, that I have probably felt my holiest self. And Mm, it is really just about a linger. When do we offer ourselves time to linger over what we love and love what we linger over? Um, so, so this mysticism to me has become very interesting. I, I think that I've been honoring my, my inner mystic more and more lately, but I do still Mm. feel like a novice. Do any of those comments make you think of of anything that you would like to teach or share about mysticism? Absolutely. I would love to hear about yeah. that in your everyday, what it looks like. Uh, no, that's great. And I think to say this is beyond the cognitive or belief is not to say beliefs aren't important. Agreed. There is a difference between something being irrational and something being transrational. Irrational is before you even have the ability to be rational like a child. You know, it's like pre-rational okay. thoughts. They're young. Okay. It's like, if I do this, the sun will say, the sun's saying hi to me when they go down or whatever. Like, yeah. it's literal, you know, um, then there's the rational mind. We all learn, especially as Western people, you know, it's, it's reason and it's this. It's all great. We need all that. The dualistic mind left and right. You need all those things. Transrational means not less than rational. It means beyond rational. You include your reasoning mind, but you also understand love, connection, identity. These things transcend the ability for the mind to contain those things. So use the best of your intellectual faculties. 
but you but your mind won't get you to union it won't get you to connection it won't get Mm -hmm. you to love it's beyond Mm -hmm. that so Mm -hmm. it's to honor the life of the mind but to know the higher experiences of love and things it it goes beyond that and so and also with the the aligning of the heart mind and body you know, when we talk about, you know, Richard Rohr has, talks about being present to presence, like without pre- without us being present, there is no presence. So presence is a relational term because God's presence is, presence is always here. But without our presence towards it, it experientially is nothing because we don't yeah. we're not paying attention. We're not awake. Yeah. And he talks about being present is anytime your mind space, your heart space and your body space are all open and essentially yeah. aligned at the same time, because. Yeah. The experience of God, the experience of love, it does not happen solely or even primarily in your mind. Hmm. Doesn't mean it negates the life of the mind, but it's it's an embodied thing. It's a gut level thing. It's this other other place of knowing deep within that allows love to exist. Like you can't love. I thought about this when you were saying something about cognition. The answer to my kids hurting or struggling or maybe they fell down is not cognition. It's connection. Yeah. And I can't do that just with my mind. I have to do it yeah. embodied. Come yeah. here. Yes. And Aww. when we are embracing our children, embracing our loved ones, or being embraced by loved ones, mm-hmm. that is not primarily a cognitive thing. You do not leave those experiences saying, I've learned something new. You leave that experience saying, I've allowed myself to be loved well. Yeah. That, even when we talk about the life of a mystic, it's not, you can leave an encounter with God and be less certain about your beliefs in God, less certain about what you believe and yet actually more free in Christ because of the experience that you had. Like, that's a funny thing to me is to give people that permission to say, you can be less certain of your beliefs about Jesus. Like, I don't know about that. And I was taught this, like we all have that. Mm -hmm. You can be less certain of your beliefs about Jesus and more free in Christ. And that experiential knowing way and and when you get that more and more you're like oh getting the beliefs lined up cognitively in a row perfectly isn't even the point yeah they get the beliefs get you in the game but they don't take you as far as you want to go that's real connection and union so the 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 invitation is to is to know like i remember shane hips a writer a long time ago wrote in his book called selling water by the river it's one of my favorite simple like it's not a academic book it's a book about jesus called selling water by the river and he's like people keep arguing about the menu but you're going to find christ in the kitchen mm. it's experiential yeah. it's you take it in it's 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 you taste it you don't mm-hmm. argue people argue over the menu i'm not interested in that yeah yeah i don't it's do staring at a road map and not looking out the window right exactly yeah um okay, it's you learning is- information it's people learning information about Oahu and the island I'm on, and it's me being in the ocean. Trust me, they're not the same thing. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> um, okay, so this is this is the last question before we just promote, 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 and tell people how to find you. But um, you have released new work into this world, the joy mm. of letting go, and this is right up my alley because uh, there's been this colossal shakeup, right? I mean, it's collective. We're all kind of reorienting a little bit, and as we reorient, um, so many of us are operating with new information. We have new boundaries. We might have new triggers. Um, We have new expectations and new relationships. I would imagine that the joy of letting go is pretty timely. Um, Mm. What 
should we be letting go of? What should we be embracing? Tell us about why you're passionate about this and how it came to be. Yeah. So the joy of letting go came out January 3rd. So a little bit over two months ago. And one of the things I say in the book, which gets at the heart of the book is letting go is not one thing we do. Letting go is that which maintains the flow of everything we do. Hmm. So it's not just something else we do sometimes. No, letting yeah. go is a perpetual invitation within everything we do all the time in order to keep doing those things well. So uh, the chapters in the book, like there's a chapter on compassion, a chapter on being present, a chapter on working for justice, a chapter on beginning again, et cetera. Yeah. And each one is saying, here is why letting go is at, is required to do this well in ways you never realize. Mm. So for example, the chapter on being present, right? You would, if I talk about being present, you wouldn't, most people wouldn't think letting go has anything to do with being present. Mm. We're just talking about being in the moment. Mm. But if I say you can't, you can't need to fix any part of the moment and be present to the moment. Yeah. You can't have an impulse to change the moment in order That's to right. experience the beauty of the moment. You yeah. can't try to change up. You can't need to change a person in the moment in order to be fully present to them. Right. We all know yeah. that we get frustrated. Okay. We all get that. Mm -mm. And to be present is, oh, I have to let go of the need for Maybe the maybe I had expectations on how this moment's supposed to go, right? For listeners, have you ever had a moment happen where you're like, this is how it's supposed to turn out, and this picnic's going to be like this, and when I go on this trip, and all of a sudden, when you get there, it's not unfolding the way you, it's, you wanted it to unfold. And when that's, and it, this didn't go the way you thought, and this didn't, and all of a sudden, guess what? You're frustrated. You're kind of angry. You're maybe a little... Maybe, maybe kind of snapping at the people around you because they're not fitting within your previously established notion of what it's supposed to be. Well, there's two different options. One, you can try to force reality into the previously mm -hmm. established box you thought it was supposed to be in, or I can let go of the way I thought it was supposed to be. Yeah. I can surrender the shape of the moment and allow the substance of the moment to emerge again on its own terms. And yeah. when I do... And if I'm trying to force the moment to be something it's not, all I am is frustrated and I'm not present. Right. But if I can surrender, let go of the way I thought it was supposed to be, now I can return to the beauty and the fullness of this moment. So that is an example of how for like to be a compassionate person requires letting go of the need to avoid pain. You cannot show compassion if you're still avoiding the need to, still avoiding yeah. feeling pain. You can't do it because yeah. compassion is suffering with people. Beginning again, you have to, there's every, to me, I'm like, invitation is a perpetual invitation just beneath the surface of our lives to allow all of this to keep flowing well. Yeah. I also say it's the last thing we want. It's the thing we avoid at all. Acceptance, letting go and forgiveness. The last things we ever mm. want usually the deepest things we need yeah and yeah. that's what that's what i'm saying is we wish it was a million other things we wish we could just try harder run faster work harder <laughs> grind more yes. that's what we, that's what our ego knows how to do we know how to it's work control hard. it's control over it control uncertainty are always exactly myths. yeah and uh or maybe you don't need to grind harder to get where you want to go. Maybe there's something just there you need to let go of. Maybe you don't need to work harder to get that person's approval. Maybe you actually need to start letting go of the need for approval in the first place. And then you can return to your work with a lot more authenticity and a oh lot less need goodness. to approve your, prove yourself to others. So it's all, 
that's all in the books, that kind of stuff. Hallelujah and amen. Everybody go buy a couple of copies of The Joy of yes. Letting Go because you're going <laughs> to want to give it to someone. It's going to it's a great gift and I can't wait. I'm going to get several because if you write as well as you talk, like I am just I am am in. I'm all in. Um thank you so much. This has been mm. a real treasure. Tell us all where to follow. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, on social media, I'm most active on Instagram. So just at mm-hmm. Kevin Sweeney one, you can keep up with whatever I'm saying or sharing there. I have my own podcast called the church needs therapy. Yes. I knew that. So yeah. <laughs> it's like half interviews like this and the other half me doing some form of a teaching. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm approaching like the hundredth episode on that, which I'm really cool. Great. Yeah. I think is really cool. Uh, yeah, my last book, The Joy of Let Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you're at. Um, unless you want to come to a local bookstore boutique somewhere here in Hawaii, you can pick up a copy as well. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, The Joy of Letting Go. My first book, The Making of a Mystic, is also there, which shares some of my more of my own personal story and stories mm-hmm. of how I got to be where I am. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's uh, there are new things happening and to return to the theme of letting go new, the new things that I see on the horizon in my life are made possible from big forms of letting go that I've done. So yeah, letting go always makes room for more joy in the same way. Embracing the death always makes room for resurrection. Yeah. This was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to follow along. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for all of the things that you are at the very same time and how beautiful you make the church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we did it. Hello, Beef. I feel like I got to introduce um you know that feeling of when you really appreciate something and you get to share it with other people, you know, yeah. like Oprah. So when Oprah would do her favorite things, yes. if I were uh, Oprah, that I know that that Kevin show would have been in the box. <laughs> yes. Like that show brought her so much joy. Like yeah. there's something really, really fun. Even, you know how mm-hmm. sometimes we'll get together for Christmas parties and they're like, bring your favorite thing, buy your favorite thing that yep. you want to give to somebody. And it's like, you know, $20 or less or whatever. And I, I like, I always so hard. have a thing. Like, I, you know, Ugh. there are these things that are like, this is it. Like, this is the thing that's changing my life right now. Anyways, I feel like that conversation with him, I want to like box up yeah. and say, this was really, really special. I hope that you love it. You know, yes, um, yes, it was really, did, really special. Yeah, how'd you um, think? What did you think about that? No, I loved it, but like this topic of like mysticism and wonder and openness, mm-hmm. I love it. I am drawn to it, and like sort of almost humbled by it because mm-hmm. it's a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's always like compelling and fascinated, fascinating to me, like to learn about myself. Like you will have guests every once in a while and I listen to them and you want to hear, you know, kind of my response. And like the, the honest, complete, thoughtful response is, wow. Like seriously, <laughs> uh, that feels like a, yeah. like a treat or something, but that is the honest um, response. And f- for him, especially. Yeah. Uh, I get that. 
Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? So we were at um, Pastors, Priests, and Guides together, Mm -hmm. Erin Nequist's Mm -hmm. retreat, and Shauna Nequist was there, and she was talking about how initially the thought of a more contemplative space seemed kind of intimidating to her. And maybe those weren't her exact words. Um, But the idea was that she felt like maybe she was going to have to set something down in order to fully belong because she felt a little too something by nature. Is it, was it cheerful? Is it whatever? And she had this realization that no, all of me belongs here. Like there's a place for that. Mm -hmm. Um, is that, is that something is she, I think she kind of ended up finding out that it was really her definition mm-hmm. of contemplative that needed expanding right. more than it was how she felt about herself that needed limiting. Is this maybe an example of that, that maybe right. just the word mystic or mysticism is a little too narrow for you or something? Yeah. I remember her talking about that and maybe, but I also feel like, you know, maybe mysticism just like, isn't my bend, right? Like, mm what's, what's the opposite of mysticism? Mm. Um, y'all said certainty a lot. And I like certainty and I don't think that's a bad <laughs> thing. Right. Like, I don't think I'm a jerk about it. Um, I think there's a place for certainty. Right. So totally maybe like, I don't know, but if, if that's more my bend, then maybe mysticism needs to be like more like a practice for me. Right. Cause I'm drawn to it. I just feel yeah. like, mm. um, I feel like we all naturally probably lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe like to be more the other way, right. You have to like intentionally lean that way and make it a discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know how, like, like one thing that I hate about myself is that I am a family of movie watchers. Like my people love a movie night. They love a movie theater night. Um, and it's just uh-huh. really hard for me. Yeah. And I hate that. Like, I just end up creating lists in my head or like seeing it as like, well, they're yeah. all doing this thing. And so now I am freed up to do something else that needs uh, to be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then I do it and I know it like creates, you know, reflection and lessons and, you know, ex- exposure to good art that I value. So I'll mm. c- occasionally make it a discipline to watch something with my family, mm-hmm. even though I know that like other things can could be getting done. Um, but when I do it, the truth is it feels like a win because it's hard for me and yeah, yeah, I'm making it like a discipline and and I do feel more balanced after I do it. So, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So like, so there's a bend towards either one or the other. I I think that that may be true. And probably the answer is somewhere with, and both with, um, what I'm about to say, but I was thinking of this too. We're not born knowing these things. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like you can be introduced to an idea or uh, like, so for example, I feel like Kevin is way further out ahead, you know, on this path than I am. Right. And so, and yet I feel like this holy nudge when he's talking of like, oh, that's interesting. So there's always going to be, it's maybe a level of knowledge more than Mm -hmm. it is. um, This is the way I am, or this is the way I'm not, you know? Right. Right. And we don't like ever get anywhere on our own. Right. Like, so someone's yes, always further right. down the street, like it's yes. me and then you and then Kevin. <laughs> so, um, maybe it's less about bend and more about exposure, education yeah, and educa- just, like awareness yeah. or something. Totally. Totally. And, and like I said, it's probably both, but, um, it, it, what's interesting to me, you said that I think this is a profound observation you make is that hmm, if certainty 
if certainty is the opposite of mysticism, and I don't, I don't know that that's true. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm not claiming to like (laughs) do any, um, like philosophical writings on mysticism, but like if certainty is perhaps the opposite, it makes me wonder what the relation, what our relationship is to the word control Mm. and how that maybe dictates our openness or closed offedness. Well, that makes a lot of sense for me struggling with mysticism, right? Because, you know, control is one of the idols that I wrestle with the most, right? Like, and I'm aware of it, right? I pick it up, cling to it, realize it's there, like try to put it down and then only to pick it back up again. Um, And I feel like God is always working me on me on that so hard with so many things in life. Um, But obviously like foster care is the hugest one for me right now and and has been for many years because it's a space where there's literally no control, but even still, I try my darndest every single time, every single kiddo, every single visit, hearing, whatever, um, to find a place to try to control. And yeah, it's exhausting. Well, that makes sense to me because you're just so dang capable. Like you are so effective. so So capable. Like, of course you think you can strong arm and change and and mm. control things. Of course you think that. Like mm. most of the time you can. And in a lot of spaces it's completely rewarded. Yeah. And in and, most spaces, right? Right. But the, the truth is, is it's a myth. I think that I resist being controlled so much. Like I is far as I, I don't know, just my personality makeup. I really resist mm-hmm. control. It's like a repellent to me. It's so mm-hmm. much so that it's almost like a a deficit where someone will say like, Oh, let's have a phone date on Thursday or, you know, yeah, let's have a phone date on Thursday. And then I'm like, they say what time? And I'm like, no, we're not like, (laughs) you know, like it's bad. Um, but like, just like the control makes me claustrophobic. And so that might not necessarily Mm -hmm. be, you know, a struggle of mine. So maybe you're right about bend. And like, I love this openness. I love willy nilly. I right. love creating space and seeing what the heck can happen. <laughs> yeah. You're the end to my yang beefinator. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like all in all, I just finished that episode thinking and being aware that I want to and need to just create more space in life, right. To just think and dream and be, and think about what I want to let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved y'all. He talked about like just things that give us wonder and just, taking time to think about those and some were deep and some were silly and actually made a list of things that, um, that made me like feel wonder and appreciation. I did. Can you share them or are they private? Oh, I can share some. Um, will you share back? Um, yeah, I, I want to like really listen, but I'll be thinking too. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, I find wonder at a farmer's market. I love, we just went to one recently, so it's fresh in my brain. Um, I love the idea of people like coming together to sell unique things that they have yes. created or grown. Yeah. I yeah. met these guys who um, sell hummus, but they put kefir in it and they thought hummus was de- delicious, but we should have some more probiotics. And and they just like couldn't give you enough samples because they believed in their product. And um, we should like tag them or something. I know. Yeah. Show notes. <laughs> it was show that, notes. We'll figure so that out. Cool. Like they just, they drove from like another city to like come and like sell what they made and what they believe in. And it was just really, really cool. I love an entrepreneur. Um, okay. I love and am dumbfounded and overwhelmed on the regular that my kids' best friends are my best friend's kids. That's crazy. Just too it's much. So crazy. Too much. It's too much. 
Um, okay. And then another one that's a little bit lighter is that I think about recently is, can you believe that like the whole world, maybe not exactly at the same time, but at different times, everybody in the world puts their head on a pillow and like stays there <laughs> for like six to eight hours every single night. Right. Even and, and attempts to rest or rest, but like everybody just collectively tries to stop and be still and rest. Wow. Yeah. There's just we, like some wild community there or something. Wow. <laughs> deep thoughts by KK. Totally deep thoughts. That yeah. is amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are yours? No, I no, hold on. Like I'm having a moment. No, I'm sweating. I love it so much. This is so great. That is totally bizarre. We can't get our ish in a pile so to do anything together, but we can do that together. That every day. Oh my every gosh. Every day. At least day. we try. At least we try. Right. Yeah. I know. Fellow insomniacs. We're fist pumping, but we're, man. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, let's see. I think so. You're sleeping. Marvel is mm -hmm. making me think of dogs. Okay. I think, okay, I think it is completely bizarre that there are these beings that like share our homes and sit with us on a couch and put their chins in our laps and that we can like communicate with that yeah. we like, we are completely separate species uh -huh. and yet they abide by the rules of our homes. I mean, mostly, right? And, you know, they yeah, like yeah. our shoes when they're not supposed to or whatever. But like, right, for the most part, like, here's where you go to the bathroom. Here's right. where you sleep. you sleep. You're not allowed on this. That is fascinating to me. Okay. That we can okay. communicate <laughs> so effectively with like just some other whole species. Being. Okay. Yeah. I'm here for it. That's a wonder. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing too, I feel like your wonder got me so deep. I'm thinking, I think no. it is crazy that every single person on the planet can, um, like form a laugh, like laughs, like oh, you're every... just talking about how you love like an inside joke with your kids. Okay. But I mean like smiling and then your smile turning into an open mouth and then your oh. chest or vocal cords or something like producing a ha a sound ha. oh a ha ha <laughs> that's you crazy that makes right me think of our foster daughter she's seven months old and she just like like really gave her first like real laugh like she had made some like cooey laughs but like you could hear her voice and like see her personality yeah. and her laugh yeah. that's good yeah. that's weird it. right it's so yeah. great okay and then I want to close with this and let's set okay. this up right beef even if it takes a minute and I okay. thought this was going to be a really short segment for you and me because my interview with Kevin went a little long I think but I want to get this out there okay I might okay. even make this like a reel of a clip okay oh okay. um when you were talking about entrepreneurs yeah um, and at the farmer's market, yeah. we ran into a young entrepreneur, um, on our way home from getting crawfish on St. Patrick's oh, day. Yay. Okay. Yes. And so we walked in to actually, we were driving into your neighborhood yeah. and it was late. It was like in it the night. Yes. It was in the night. And nines. we Things see this. Yes. We see this young man. He's mm -hmm. getting into his car. Now here's the, the funny part is that we're driving into your neighborhood and as though it were like a beckoning laser beam. Yes. Our boys see those are shoes. Yeah. Shoes. Like, so, and they're like, you know how they like cellophane them up? They like slap uh -huh. them with 
yeah. plastic. Now, okay, so I think that's what they saw. They saw the bling from the yes. shellac. Yes. So they see this wall of nice shoes right. and they're like, mom. So I turn around. Um, I say, let's go. It's bedtime. She said, it was, let's turn it was around. Late. I'm like, we're just, we can look. And so we pull pull into this parking lot and we catch this young man. He's getting into his car. Right. We think we're just going to like look in the windows. Yeah, we're just going to look. And like, he's there. Well, and verify that they are, in fact, these are nice shoes. Like we're just confirming for our kids that they're not making things up. Except he sees us in the window. And I had, I stayed in the car. You got out with them. So you take over from here. So he's like, would y'all like to go in? And he's in the car with his baby. And we're like, yes, please. He's like, he, like he wanted to show us, right? Like he's proud of his product. Like I was saying about the farmer's market. And so we go in and he shows us all of his shoes and tells us about his background and tells us why he picked that location. He had recently just got broken into and all of his merchandise was stolen. And he was like, I got insurance for that. I rebuilt, I rebought. Here we go. Like gave us information about his soft opening. Um, and can, I literally gave him my phone so he could like connect with social media. Um, and he is just so proud of a really solid business. And our boys were like literally drooling um, at all the yeah. shoes that he had. Yes. So he's he I hope is going to um, kill it. But clearly is somebody who just believes deeply in what he's doing and is a hard worker and just like ready to do all the things that he needs to do to make his business successful. So cannot wait to support him. Absolutely. We got to like, you know, tell him how cute his baby is, tell him how yeah. nice his shoes are, and then yeah. hopefully get some word out to help For support sure. his business so that he can just drum up a good, loyal clientele who will not rob from him. Yes. Um, so just helping him kind of get back on his feet is super um, important to me. I wanted to make a, t- I wanted to go back the next day and make a TikTok and it, that just didn't happen. But um, anyways, if you live in Houston, I'm going to put that this in show notes as well, how to support him. Um, he also very kindly told us that we did in fact smell like crawfish. So oh, he did. He did. He said, did you say that you just had crawfish for dinner? Cause I can smell money. And we were like, thank you. We did. We did. It was delightful. <laughs> you should have come with us. Now yeah. he's next time. <laughs> now he, he has a hankering. Um, okay. Love you beef. This is a great you. little. <laughs> Bye. I am so, so grateful for you listener. If you liked this episode, could you please do me a favor and hit subscribe and leave a review? It really helps the show grow. And I would be so appreciative. Thank you so much to our guests who share their gifts so generously with us. And a special thank you to Taylor Schroll, who does so much behind the scenes to make the show great. If it weren't for him, I would still be in my closet with my iPhone. You can follow along at Forte Catholic as well. That's Taylor's show where I show up now and again. And to keep up more regularly, please follow along on Instagram at Allison M. Sully or TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. See you next week. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.